1979, the world was introduced to the Amityville Horror. This film about a haunted house terrorizing its inhabitants has been widely held as a classic for decades and spawned a number of sequels. The first couple of these sequels kept their roots planted in the upstate New York house that the original took place in. But by 1989, the evil quite literally escaped and transferred itself into a lamp. This film would set the trend for the next few entries, centering around various possessed objects like a mirror or a dollhouse. Nothing says spooky like a haunted dollhouse, and it was so scary that it effectively ended the franchise until it made a comeback a decade later with a remake of the original. What a piece of shit. The Amityville name has been used in dozens of unrelated horror films, and it continues to be used to this day. But the trend of random inanimate objects being haunted has not made a return until now, from indie filmmaker Nate Rumler. But even in Rumler's deranged mind, there's one thing evil would never possess. A vibrator. Right? Do you think it's safe to ask them? Hear me, all you hosts gathered here. <laughs> Kill everyone now. Condone first-degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Well, I think we're about ready. Quiet, everyone. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. From the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell, Welcome to Astro Radio Z. I'm a killer. You're rich to burn my nose. 
Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z, dear listeners. I'm bringing on underground filmmaker Nathan Rumler to chat today. Wait, you don't know who he is? Where the fuck have you been? This dude has been a part of a metric shit ton of flicks in the last decade, not only with his production house Rock Bottom Video, who made the amazing flicks The Big F and Guardia de Male, but he's also been involved in films like Chubby's, Blood Orgy at Beaver Lake, James Bell's Nutsack Part 1, Lucifer's Cosmonauts, the list goes on and on and on. He's also directed three feature films himself, Fangboner, Gay for Prey, The Erotic Adventures of Jesus Christ, and his brand new flick, The Amityville Vibrator. This movie is the biggest middle finger fuck you film of the year. I'm super excited and honored to bring on Nate, someone who I personally shared a drink or two with at Cinema Wasteland. So stick around and we'll break down the Amityville Vibrator after another award-winning segment of The Bottom Rack. Don't question the validity of what I'm saying here, folks. Just go with it. By Mr. Daniel Edenfield. So stick around. How could anyone do this? Reload. Hello. Hi. I'm Dan. And this is the bottom rack. Bottom, uh, <laughs> you know, for something that was supposed to roll off the tongue, I certainly do seem to get this wrong more than I do right. <clears throat> it, bo- bottom shelf entertainment for your top shelf lifestyle. <laughs> I'll get it right one day. Summer's coming up, so things be... Anyway, how are you? I'm fine, thanks for asking, even though you didn't. I got a fun one for you today. Maybe a fun one, I guess, is what I had to... All right, recent episodes of Astro Radio Z... It has occurred to me, it's occurred to me before, but yeah, maybe I've been, I've jumped the gun a lot of times on movie reviews. Now, I am infamous. It will be the first to admit that I can't get diarrhea of the mouth. I'm like, really? Diarrhea of the mouth. And I have noticed maybe it's in my uh, later years, my more mature years, if you will, tempered with wisdom. Uh, I'd like to go back and revisit some movies, or maybe I've just decided I was a little too hasty in judgment, or maybe I'm just jaded, bored, and cynical and want to watch something else, or, you know, but instead of taking a gamble on something new that I know is going to suck, I'll watch something old that sucked before, so why not, you know. I revisited House of the Dead. Oh, wait a minute, I guess I should say, let me see, <clears throat> The House of the Dead. The House of the Dead. Oh, yeah, that's right. That infamous flick. Yes, sir. I revisited it. I have the wherewithal. I'm going there. Why don't you go there with me? Let's, uh, I, I mean, this ain't some stupid little appeal or call to action to watch a movie or let's just give it a chance. What? No, I watched it. And, uh, here's why. When this movie came out, I watched it and hated it. And it's real fun. Hold on, let me adjust this microphone, get a little. All right. It's really fun to make fun of the director and so let's let first of all with his name how how the hell do you pronounce his name i have heard 38 different ways to say his name and it's only three letters is it uve or is it ooh or yule or ooh or it's german he's german right so i guess it'd be like uve 
or Ubi. I've heard it Ooey or Ubi, like the cart, the old show, kid show, where I mean, I've heard it Ooh or Ooh, or I mean, if you go, <laughs> so uh, we'd leave it to that. Probably Ernest P. World did it the best, you know. So that guy, and is it Ball or Bowl or Bool? They're more like Ooh, Bool. It's more fun pronouncing his name than watching his films. Generally, <laughs> that's the way it's that's the way it was presented for a while. Anyway, the guy is infamous. Uh, you can do your own research about that, and you know what? You can judge his other movies on their own merit. This is not about his aura as a director or anything. This is about House of the Dead. This was, if I remember, and I'm really not going to look it up because I don't care. But I think this was like his first movie or his first major U.S debut or whatever it was and i mean it made waves maybe for the wrong reasons so i mean this movie is just noted to be crap and that's all anybody's ever going to say is how crappy this movie was and it was so stupid and it, i mean even and i'm guilty i i am in no way talking like i have exonerated from this i am guilty of this this movie sucked hard and i admitted that so i watched it again why not let's come at it with a fresh pair of eyes because i haven't seen it probably in a decade maybe longer 2003's House of the Dead, clocking in at 1 hour and 30 minutes exactly, if you look at IMDb. Uh, let's take a look at the cover of this thing first and foremost, because as I have noted in my later years, probably the the biggest thing that I will critique is your music. I can't help that. And if your cover, like what you show me on the cover, better be in the Daggum film. So let's check the cover out. So in this cover, it's a black it's all black and you're you've got like the shape of a keyhole and you've got like this zombie face with a skull in the eye like you're looking through a keyhole and at the top it says you won't last the night and it's got like this cool little like i said keyhole thing and it's got house of the dead and i can't remember i think it's really close if not the exact font from the sega game and of course underneath it says based on the best selling video game so they're right there they have led you to believe and to assume and i know it says based on but they've just the i remember the advertising for this movie and everything they were really pumping hard this whole sega dreamcast crossover thing so this isn't about like the arcade the arcade game was sega but they were really pushing let's see if it's 2003 if i'm again not crossing my node my nodules in my brain this would be close to or during the waning years of the dreamcast anyway house of the dead the story is simple it's i mean i'll just read it to you from imdb this is a simple synopsis a group of college students travels to a mysterious island to attend a rave which is soon taken over by bloodthirsty zombies and yes i mean let's get all right so let's do it like this <clears throat> a group of college students tra- no let's just see let's see this is 2000 so i need something like 2000 ravey you know where you start bumping your heads and- No, maybe not that. This is the rhythm of the night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, but a little less on the vocals. Yeah, just some of the. Alright, there we go. That'll work. A group of college students travels to a mysterious island to. Oh, damn, no. But yeah, you got a group of college kids that are going to an island. To attend a rave, I mean, 
it's ludicrous in its simplicity. And don't, seriously, you're watching a movie called House of the Dead that you know they're cashing in on a video game from Sega. If you love the video game, you're going to be a harsher, trust me, if you are a fan of this video game, you will be a much harsher critic than somebody just watching this film. But again, you know what this movie is. It's about zombies. It, I say you should. If you just pick this thing up off the shelf, I'm going to be a little harsher in my critique of this. But being a fan of the video game, when you pick this up, you know what you're getting into. You want zombies and you want to, you want to shoot zombies. That is the point of this game. I don't want to die. My God. Sorry if I I feel like I'm rambling here, but I'm just trying to set things up before I completely knock this thing over. (laughs) But yeah, in the game House of the Dead, you play as a dude or I forget if it's like a dude and a chick or like two dudes, because it doesn't matter. It's a first person rail shooter. So you just got a gun and you shoot zombies. Lots of gore. It's really cool. Very cartoony, almost cell shaded. It's that uh, turn of the century kind of Sega. Well, of course, Sega Dreamcast, you know, real polished CGI type stuff look you know you know what i'm saying if you haven't played the game it's really good it's way better than the movie so this is cashing in on that so you got a group of kids that are going to a a rave and i guess they're well to do kind of sort of they're like rich yeah because one of the kids like pays a boat driver because they go to the dock they can't get a ride so they hire a smuggler who happens to be jürgen prokno and he is also going to the island they're trying to escape customs or the coast guard and or the same thing whatever and so they go to the island and i'm i don't really want to ruin anything but when they get to the island there's a rave and the rave is empty but a rave was happening it was a big ass sega banner (laughs) so i mean they're really hammering this and then on the way there you're getting is it and correct me i don't know i'm not a filmmaker but i guess it's called interstitials or uh, transitions you're getting transitions showing and this is one of the hokiest corniest things about it they are hammering you over the head with the fact that this is cashing in on House of the Dead. So every time it transitions over, sort of like instead of the George Lucas screen wipe where you would get like the radial screen wipes and stuff from Star Wars, you're given, we're treated to in-game footage of House of the Dead. Now this would be cool if this were actually in the film, <laughs> in the film. but the worst thing that this movie does is, it, I say worst, one of the things this movie does is it tries so hard hammering you over the head with the fact that it's a House of the Dead movie. Reload! And it really doesn't have anything to do with the game. Until. <laughs> I say, until. Things unfold in this. And I think one thing, in hindsight, a review I will give this film, or just, you know, sort of like, again, my thoughts with it, maybe that they shouldn't have called it House of the Dead. If if it had removed just that, you know, really pummeling you over the head with the it's based on the video game, if they had removed that and just called it something else, I guarantee you we would not be as harsh on this film as people are now. Video game movies are notorious for sucking. It's true. They just haven't been able to do it right. And this is this is that case. And this is also one of the vanguard for that. Now, fortunately, it's not the worst that I would say Super Mario is still probably the worst. But I mean, this, if you take it on the merit that this is a house of the dead video game movie, yeah, this thing sucks ass. If you just take it that it's a fun zombie flick shooting zombies, it's cool as hell. Well, why do you say that, Dan? I will explain. 
This movie has nothing but really good guts and squibs and and shooting guns. There's no story in here, but guess what? They're going to an island filled with zombie dead things by dead things, Mikey. Dead things, Mikey. Dead things. Hey, Mikey. They're going to an island with dead things, and you want to shoot them. If you're familiar with the game, you're going to expect that. In this film, they have given you transition scenes showing like crosshairs, showing in-game footage of crosshairs going over zombies and blowing them away with guns. Well, guess what? You get that. It honestly builds up to a hokey thing, but not really that bad. They get to the island, there's nobody there, and then they're all dead. And so then the people have to escape. And so it kind of sort of turns into like Assault on Precinct 13. I mean, essentially what isn't, it's your typical siege film, but... It isn't so much of a siege as it's building up to it. There, It's building up to this monumental gunfight with zombies. And watching it this time, I realized what it was doing. And it, again, I'm just going to, I keep saying it, it's not as bad as you think it is. I'm telling you, watch it. Remove everything, take away all your judgmentalisms and stuff like that. Just watch the film for what it is. A corny let's mow some zombies down film that's it you're not in this for an academy award-winning performance i hope not (laughs) we don't want that i didn't i wanted to pop it in and just kind of watch it and you know what it's just a movie about mowing down a bunch of zombies who cares where the story the story was actually there (laughs) if pieced together with chewing gum and duct tape but there was a story there but again it's the tie-ins with the game that to me hold it back if they had quit hammering you with that, if they'd have just kind of kept rolling with the whole, you know, it's just it's a zombie flick on an island and you got guns and we're shooting shit, it was great. It's whenever they tried to tie it in with the game that it really started to fall flat. But I'll give it this. It's, there were scenes in this film that felt more Resident Evil than the Resident Evil movie. So, I mean, take that for what it is. The setting is awesome. It feels like maybe it was, and maybe I read it wrong or whatever, but it feels like it was maybe filmed in the Pacific Northwest, or I think it might have been supposed to be something tropical, but I believe it was filmed in the Pacific Northwest. It was filmed somewhere cold. I'll give it that because you could see their breath at night. Just there's a the way the locale looks. So it was kind of off putting slightly, but not really. You know, the sets are fake, but it didn't feel that fake. Hard to explain. It felt like a really cool run and gun full moon movie. Honestly, it it really does. If Full Moon would have movies as action-packed as this, I mean, we'd really be on to something. It it really felt cool. These zombies, they're the Zack Snyder hauling ass zombies. They don't sit there and they don't waste time. They don't Romero shamble around. These things are out to eat people, and they run. They just haul ass straight at everybody, so it's really cool. Characters from the game, uh, or I say characters, zombies from the game. Let's see. Normal zombies, yes, uh, sea, seaweed, like ocean monster zombie things. Yes. Uh, crazy frog leech animal things. Yes. And, uh, zombies that throw axes. Yes. All of this. So if now if we're weighing on a counterbalance as to things that were in the game, in the movie, there were, there were correlations. So again, look, there's a lot of gore. There's a lot of blood, hammy acting. Thank you for rescuing me. But who cares? Like, I didn't go into this expecting an Oscar-winning performance. And honestly, I really enjoyed this. It's not as bad as I used to make it out to be. It's not as bad as everybody makes it out to be. So everybody, if you could take time 
to enjoy a conversation with somebody and ask them to you know step down off the soapbox for a little bit and quit screaming about Huey Ball and Michael Bay movies and just have a conversation about film, <laughs> you might find something to enjoy in this. Trust me, it's it's not that bad. However, <laughs> so I guess we need to get... And then, is it like the box art? No. <laughs> no, it absolutely is not. That is the worst. That is the unpardonable crime. That is the unforgivable sin. No, I'm just... Seriously, that's like my biggest thing. Is it like the box art is making us a promise? This box art honestly looks like something maybe you see in Wreck. And if I can't remember, I think Wreck might have come out around the same time. So you, they're going for that zombie found footage thing. And I, I don't really have a better aesthetic for it other than that time and play. If you look at this box art, you'll just you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. It just it has that feel. No, this isn't. You don't see that in the movie. Uh, you get kind of a weird sort of semblance of a zombie that looks like that. Uh, but no, it the box art is misleading. One of the worst things about this film, I would say, is that they have spent the whole time telling you this is House of the Dead. This is you know based on the game. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They give you those little transitions of in-game footage. They show you that big-ass Sega logo. Uh, it's a rave party or whatever. It's just, I mean, no. The two worst things about, oh, and I'll get to that other worst thing, but the worst thing about it is there is a tie-in to the game. And it's a tie-in, like, it, mainly House of the Dead 2, which is on the Dreamcast. So, I mean, you get the huggy, like, characters like G and uh, You're Next and stuff like that. Those show up at the very end, and this is, and that's not really a spoiler in it because it's not what you think it is. And then you find out that the guy there, like his name was Kyrian. And this is, if you've never played the game, that's no spoiler. And if you have played the game, you've spent this whole time watching this movie wondering how it ties in with the game. Well, there's your tie in. Is it the very end? If I was, what's your name? The name's Randolph Kyrian. And that was like one of the weakest things because that right there just it it to me, we have spent an hour and a half of actually really good zombie killing filmmaking. Honestly, <laughs> the gore effects were exquisite. Lots of guns, lots of ammunition, headshots, explosions. I mean, it's really cool, really stylistic camera work. It ultimately it was really cool, but then you do all of that at the very end to tie it in and just say like Curian, like that's supposed to be the big twist. You have basically just illegitimized your entire film. You have taken a story that you made that was really cool, and you just you hinged it on a video game that it, because then now the movie feels nothing like the game. If, if you follow me. Oh, and that just, that really held back. And then I know that my biggest grievance, oh God, <laughs> that stupid song. It's just, oh God, I want to, oh Lord, I won't even get into it. There's no need for that. You know, some people like, that's cool. I don't. Oh my God. I didn't like it. <laughs> Let's just pretend that I did like it. They played it way too long. You go through this like I said, it's culminating into this big gunfight shootout sequence with them just mowing through zombies like 
all the zombies are bum rushing him, and you just got like this last stand in a really cool cemetery graveyard in front of an old like ramshackle mission house building thing. So there's your house. And it just really cool sequences of execution and running and gunning and stuff. Totally awesome. But that stupid song seriously started to just really drag it down. House of the Dead, look, is on IMDb, it's got 2.0 stars, like two stars. It's rated two out of 10. That's harsh. Most people do it just because they want to jump on the bandwagon. I am wondering how many people, how many people that have rated this thing have actually watched it. Out of the 35,459 people, I wonder how many people have actually taken the time to watch it and review it. Then I'm going to question how many have actually watched it again and re-reviewed it. Go over I will. I'm man enough to admit I was wrong, honestly. I, yeah, I mean, I was you know, following the trend and whatever. And I'm not trying to say I'm some kind of glorious, newfound, you know, where's my angel choir and say, yes, listen to me and my profound opinion. Maybe just watch it again. <laughs> I liked it. It was cool. The uh, the box art yeah, is a little misleading, but other than that, look, they run around, they shoot zombies, lots of blood, lots of gore. It's fun. You trust me. We've watched worse. <laughs> so anyway, that was House of the Dead. I'm Dan, and I hope y'all have enjoyed this. All right, went a little long with this one. I apologize. So anyway, y'all take care, and I will holler at you later. On we go to our next battle. <laughs> This is Astro Radio Z and we love talking about movies with you. If you are looking for more episodes, and want to become part of the show, go to patreon.com, forward slash, Astro Radio Z and become a monthly subscriber to have access to not only over 100 plus bonus episodes of content, but a monthly bonus episode of Astro Radio Z and censored with Mark the Movie Man where you, the listener tell us what to cover on the show. Jump in. Make Astro Radio Z yours and become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z.
So how you doing, man? It's been a while since I've talked to you. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember what wasteland it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right, man. First question I got for you, Mr. Nathan Rumler. Yeah. <laughs> what turned you into an underground film freak? I guess uh, it's kind of meeting my friend. Like, I was already into, like, slashers and, like, kind of just general horror fair. I met a friend in seventh grade who turned me on to, like, the Italian horror stuff. He started showing me, like, guinea pig movies and all this crazy stuff and trauma. And I just discovered this whole wide world of <laughs> weird shit that I never knew existed. And it just kind of took off from there, man. What about it got you going? I don't know, man. Just a lot of it was just like, I can't believe movies like this exist. I just love the gore. love the feel of it. Did the energy speak to you in a way? Yeah, you could say that. How did you get exposed to horror when you were a kid? I mean, was it something that you just kind of happened upon or did you have someone that corrupted you when you were young that, that <laughs> steered you into this direction? I would catch like tales from the crypt on TV, like really late at night. I'm like basic TV. So it was all like chopped up and stuff. But yeah. I started getting into, like critters, movies and troll and ghoulies and shit like that. This is a very serious question, and uh, I will judge you based upon your answer of this question, Nate. So prepare yourself. Okay. All right. Ghoulies <laughs> one or ghoulies two? Oh, two. Oh, man. <laughs> Everyone I ask is such has such a hard on for ghoulies two. I mean, justifiably so. It's a really fun movie. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the lone ghoulies defender and apologist in the fucking world. But. <laughs> When I was young and that thing came out, man, I was obsessed with it. It's like one of those popcorn comfort films for me. Like I could put it on any any time, any day. I probably could watch it every single day of the week. I do. I do like the original Ghoulies. I watched that one a lot as a kid, too. But like I really like stuff that takes place at carnivals. This is one of my main draws to Ghoulies, too. Yeah. <laughs> you got Royal Dano. You got fucking Wasp. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah so i i don't blame you i mean most of the people that i talk to are big ghoulies too fans so i guess that just just leaves me i'm gonna still you know fly the flag for ghoulies one someday i'll meet somebody someday someday so would you call yourself because you've been involved in the scene for a while now would you call yourself an underground or no budget filmmaker man i i guess so <laughs> a lot of people think i am <laughs> even if i don't take myself completely seriously but i mean i don't know i've i've written and directed three features now and produced seven worked on maybe like 25 30 movies total i guess i am <laughs> do you find that to be a derogatory term in any ways because I, I for me at least i come across people that look at some of the things i've been involved with and they always kind of have a and we're talking about, you know, those people, those people that, quote unquote, make movies that they, then look at your <laughs> shit and then go, they, they, you know, they turn around and act like you're not your subhuman for some reason. Do you find like being a, a genre underground, no budget filmmaker, like a derogatory term in some way? No, um, I always fear I don't want to come off pretentious. Sure. I actually have a very good story. <laughs> How I've always like perceived myself and like even like working with like rock bottom and stuff. This is like when I was with Brian uh, from Rock Bottom. He uh, he had the big F screen at Horror Hound 
And so he got invited out to the uh, the movie awards that were like happening, like the uh, filmmaker fucking party, like after party, sure. after screens. And- so we got invited out there <laughs> and we we're all wasted at this point already. I think I was wearing a Gigi Allen shirt and I'm carrying a plastic bag full of beers that are just leaking all over the ground. <laughs> and he's we're both walking in drunk and I feel like all the eyes were just like on us, like, like who the fuck are these guys? And it was just like full of all these like pretentious people, like holding their trophies. They won. And like, Oh, I went to school and uh, they're all just like fucking networking with one another. We're like, dude, let's get some fucking cheese and some absinthe and get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) We don't, we don't belong here. (laughs) And that's like kind of how I've always seen myself or anybody I've worked with, like compared to, you know, any teen quote unquote, where do you feel you are in? Is it cinema wasteland? I mean, where's, where do you feel your people are for the movies that you guys make? Uh, definitely Wasteland, definitely Shockstock. Yeah, that's that's our crowd. <laughs> well, I first saw one of your guys' movies at Cinema Wasteland. I saw uh, Guardia de Male, and uh, my boy Seth and I laughed our fucking asses <laughs> off. This, that yeah. movie fucking <laughs> slayed us. And uh, I may have been wasted, but... but yeah. <laughs> well, it's Wasteland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, but I still loved it. So... Yeah. That was kind of my first foray into rock bottom video. So what for my listeners, what is rock bottom video and how did it all start and how did you get involved with it? That started with me, Brian Papandria and Brian Kilby. And we all met each other. Well, I mean, I met Kilby. I think those guys knew each other for a while, but we all three met at the same time on the set of uh, Chubby's, which was Mike Hartman's movie um, that was shot at my work. But yeah, we all kind of just met and we're like, let's kind of just branch off and do our own thing. It was our uh, kind of our goal to we were each going to write and direct a different movie, you know, and just keep p- punching them out. And for a while, we were releasing one like every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, started with Fang Boner, which I did. Then we did the Big F, which Brian Papandria did. Actually, Guardia de Mali was shot. After Fang where we didn't release it till later. I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> we're yeah, we basically just took turns writing and directing. But we kind of took a break for right now. We're kind of on a hiatus, and we kind of wanted to do our own thing a little bit. Like most of the rock bottom stuff is all fairly similar in content, and you know, but we all have different ideas that we've been wanting to do. So we decided to take a break and. But we still have ideas that we want to shoot with Rock Bottom in the future. I just don't know. Not sure when it's going to happen yet. Right on. So how did you get involved with uh, James and May Bell? You've been in a bunch of their movies as well. How did that come about? Is it because of Wastelands? Is it because you guys all kind of live near each other in Michigan? What's what's the story? <laughs> uh, it's a fun story. Um uh, me and Mike Hartman and a guy named Terrence and Brian Pandry also got involved. We started a uh, trauma dance Detroit back in 2014. I think the second year, the very first movie that was submitted to us was dog Dick. And if you've seen like James's cases, like the weird leather binding and the crazy artwork all over it and mm-hmm. 
like had <laughs> he used all the angry comments he got on YouTube like it for the inside of the case and I we're just it's all hand painted and weird and I looked at it and I was like dude I think somebody sent us a snuff movie <laughs> like <laughs> don't remember if I tracked him down on Facebook after that but I remember I started talking to him after he released Manure which was a second movie mm-hmm. and I met him shortly after that when he he bended at Trauma Dance so that's kind of how we started talking. It wasn't even really like, well, I didn't even realize he lived so close to us until like, until I think I found him on Facebook. And I told him, I was like, dude, if you ever need any help, like I'd totally be down. And that's kind of how our relationship formed. And he's been doing my effects ever since. I've worked on, I think, four of his movies now. Yeah, I remember seeing you in Nutsack. Yeah. <laughs> I, that yeah. came as a surprise to me. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was in I was in Nutsack. I've been in Tantrum 2. I was in uh The Bleak. And I'm also in his new one Evaporation that he's working on right now. Right on. He's definitely one of those guys. I I met him at Wasteland probably right before Manure came out. And yeah. he is the most unassuming nice dude and <laughs> every time i've yeah. met him i've had a great time him and may have been so welcoming and uh so i'm a huge supporter because as far as i'm concerned there is literally no one out there making movies like he makes movies zero care oh, for the aesthetic of of like what he's <laughs> shooting on zero very humble about what what he's doing but he's just making content and his effects just keep getting better and better so well it seems to be somebody who's learning by doing you know he's just like every single movie he keeps pushing himself a little bit more and a little bit more mm-hmm. do you do you find because watching your new movie uh the amityville vibrator at least to me felt like there was a lot of james bell kind of infused in that movie do you feel like any of his influence is kind of like leaked over into your subconscious i did ask him what he shoots on and i have the same camera that he shoots on at least one of them he uses two different cameras to shoot with but yeah we both shoot on a canon xl that shoots on mini dv because i wanted to get like that kind of sort of shot on video aesthetic so i asked him what he thinks is good for that and that's that could be why <laughs> well, it definitely well, it, it also helps that he did a bunch of the effects in there. So there were certain sequences that really felt like some of the like the tantrum stuff and that visual aesthetic absolutely mm. cements that there's really nobody out there. The only other person I knew that shot that kind of stuff was my bud, Corey Udler, and he shot most of like his incest death squad movies and all that stuff on that camera. So there's a very specific look that comes about Mm -hmm. how was it shooting with that camera for amityville vibrator it was great (laughs) i really didn't have any problems with it it's like it was kind of exactly the aesthetic that i was going for with it i wanted to it's like i was saying like most of the most of the rock bottom stuff has uh same kind of feel to it and like i kind of wanted to break away from that and yes it was uh it's just a little frustrating to me like nothing against kilby who shot and edited all of our stuff but I've always, I've always been, before I joined that, I was always the one shooting and editing my own stuff. So it kind of felt like it was a little out of my hands at certain points in the process. 
So like I wanted to get more hands on and just kind of get more creative with the shots and the editing and stuff like that. So it's, this is the first movie that I've had like a hundred percent creative control on. So I'm going to try to keep making things that are just weirder and weirder, but <laughs> I'll eventually go back to rock bottom. We'll be, we're making some of that stuff again though right <laughs> well there's definitely a different energy to this than uh gabe for prey or even uh fang boner i think one big thing is you've cut this thing down to an hour i mean this thing is lean and mean and doesn't fucking hang on anything when you went into this this movie like what was the kind of feel that you were going for with this I just wanted to capture like the punk, just a punk rock feeling caught in a movie. You know, I wanted people to like watch it and look at the people in it and be like, wow, these people don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which could have been some of the reason why I saw this. And then I, I thought of James <laughs> Bell immediately because <laughs> yeah. his, his films feel like that a lot. Yeah. Right. On, James creates like, World. like <laughs> you put in that james Bell movie and it's like you're traveling to a, a completely different world <laughs> it's like not even on earth <laughs> absolutely i fucking couldn't agree more i love stuff like that man do you feel going forward with maybe some of this stuff away from rock bottom that's more of the avenue you'd like to create more something that you have a definite stamp on that's yours yeah i'm trying to get more just like stylish with my stuff my new, I actually already started shooting a new one. Like I haven't even started making the Amityville DVDs yet. And I'm already shooting my new one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually shooting more of that tomorrow. But yeah, that one's going to be, it's, I don't think it's going to be feature length. It'll probably end up being a short, but it's going to be a lot more like abstract and weird. Kind of like, uh, I mean, maybe not as much as that little end sequence in Amityville, but it's going it, to, yeah, it's not going to be like a linear type of movie, almost like a, not to compare myself to fucking David Lynch, but like a David Lynch light kind of feel like a almost like a dreamlike kind of thing I want to do. Sure. So it's going to be it's a, it's going to be a lot different than anything else I've done already. Well, that's cool. I'm excited. Most of the stuff that you've been doing so far is, has been, would you say, horror comedies? Yeah. Amityville is definitely the closest thing I've made to like a actual horror movie, but there's still a lot of comedy in it. <laughs> Listeners, if you, you aren't aware of what the Amityville vibrator is, Nate, would you like to describe what your movie is to the listeners? Well, the half-assed thing that I put up on IMDb went something like uh, Kathy uh, moves into a new home, just broke up with her boyfriend, and her friend takes her out. They come into a contact with a vibrator that has ancient evil powers that came from this house. She gets it back to the house. Weird shit just starts happening. And we, well, there's two, uh, like kind of researcher detective types that are trying to track it down. It's like the last possessed item that they need to get to this house before, uh, everybody she comes into contact with becomes a sex slave or Satan. So I've always wanted to make a satanic horror movie because I love movies with like satanic horror elements, like anything like fucking the church or Sentinel, like any kind of Satan movie I love. Fucking A, man. The Sentinel's a great-ass movie. That's something nobody talks about, man. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> so this movie, we got tons of nudity. We got evil mustachioed dolls with huge dongs. Got Dude. masturbation galore. You got shroom taken. You got stabbings, head explosions, gut fucking. This movie's got it all. <laughs> let's let's be honest. It's the best Amityville movie since the original three by far, Nate. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like it's about time, though. <laughs> <laughs> My fucking boy, Sub Paulin, was talking to me about that on a podcast a while back uh, because who put that? Did Vinegar Syndrome just put out a new box set with uh, that thing in it? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So everybody's revisiting this thing. He thought that thing was hilarious. I don't think I've ever watched that one. I've watched all the horse shit that's come after it where everybody you know, decides to make their own Amityville movie. Your movie destroys all of it. Yeah, that's what I wanted to make. I, so, like, I literally got the idea. I wanted to, I don't remember which one I was watching, but it was fucking terrible. And there's, like, I feel like there's a new Amityville movie that gets released, like, every few months. There's sure. always one. And I was like, wow, I should make a movie called Amityville Dildo just to, like, make fun of all of this stuff. And... That's literally where the idea came from, and it kind of went from there. And I <laughs> rewatched the series front to back, all the originals, all the shitty ones that had come out. <laughs> Are you since. serious? Like all 21 of those fucking things or whatever it is? It's got to be, what, 63 movies? I, yeah. I couldn't even I, tell you. I watched that. I watched the original ones to, like, kind of gather, like, homages I wanted to do. And then I watched the shitty ones just to make sure I wasn't, like, taking anything which i which i obviously wasn't <laughs> yeah but um yeah there is a there's an inside joke in in the movie in vibrator where uh the sex scene between the two lead women uh corella and mallory man eater like the one scene where you see penetration from mallory every single line of dialogue that they're saying back and forth contains a word from each like amityville direct-to-video Amityville movie <laughs> like when she says I think the first line is it's so cold it's haunting which is Amityville haunting and she says something like fuck me in this death house which is Amityville death house and it just goes back and forth through the whole thing the entire scene until it ends with perform an exorcism on my asshole <laughs> which is Amityville exorcism <laughs> it's kind of a joke about you know like the franchise being fucked <laughs> is the joke I'm going to get there, but I don't know if people pick up on the dialogue or not. You have to be like really, really in tune with all the Amityville movies that have come out since then <laughs> to pick up on that one. So what made you want to take this movie as far as you did? Because compared to a lot of at least any of the Amityville horror movies, this felt more like a porn parody then it it felt like you were trying to like accomplish a straightforward Amityville horror movie. What made you want to go down that route? That was part of me like trying to make fun of where the franchise was going. I was going to say like, you know, eventually they're going to be making like a porno. So instead of making like an actual porno, I wanted to make like a, a parody of a porn parody, <laughs> I guess, essentially taking a movie this far sexually is something i've kind of always wanted to do just to like push buttons and stuff i actually really like joe D'Amato's like horror porn stuff that he was making back in the 80s and like nobody really makes stuff like that anymore you know I, yeah, i'm a fan of that stuff the only people that i see that are even remotely coming close is it's like the burning angel stuff you know the joanna angel and tommy pistol stuff where they're making uh, what did they do the um, the Exorcist porn parody and that uh, Reanimator, uh, Repenetrator and stuff like that and this kind of had some of that vibe to it which which I kind of dug. Um, do you did you ever worry going into this 
that this aspect would would limit the audience that you could potentially sell this movie to? Or you just said, fuck it, I'm just going to make the movie I want to make. And it is what it is. <laughs> yes, that was basically my attitude. It's just I I didn't care. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll argue with people, though, if they try to say it's like actual pornography, because a pornography film is meant to like arouse the audience. And while there is like penetration and like a cum shot and stuff in this, like it's it's never meant to arouse people. It's meant to either shock them or make them laugh. Most of the sex in it is like fairly quick. I guess there's some that linger a while, but I don't I don't consider it pornography. It's just a extreme sex exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> Was it tough to for you to find actors and actresses uh, to go as far as you wanted oh, to yeah. in this one? Oh yeah, <laughs> just like finding the right actresses for i think took me a year i went through so many so many people (laughs) i originally had somebody trying to like that was going to play my role but they ended up dropping out they also didn't want to actually eat mushrooms on screen so that was like kind of a like an ass for me because i wanted that scene to be real but yeah it, it took a long time i couldn't even tell you how many people i went through like I had a, a Facebook group for us to all chat and like try to stay updated. And I feel like the original cast I had was like all gone by the end of it. Like new people came in, a couple sure. of them left. Yeah, it got really hard to try and find people for this. But I'm glad that, you know, Corella drove all the way up from Columbus to get up here. And yeah, she was great. Fuck, she killed it, man. Corella was one of those cinema wasteland staples. So every single yeah. time she was one of those family members, man, every time you go there, you'd see her, you'd have a good time. And she was always super positive and gung ho for anything. How did you get her compared to all these the rest of these people that were kind of falling aside? Get her to be good with going and I mean, because she really goes for it in this movie. She's just like fearlessly bears all and does everything in this movie. How did you talk her into this? Well, I know she worked with Dustin Mills. I've she uh, she had already done Full Frontal for one of his movies. I think Invalid. She's like fully nude in that. Mm-hmm. So I I hit her up after some of my other leads went down. She she was just like all for it. <laughs> she read the script and was just like, "Fuck yeah, I'm totally down." And should have asked her earlier instead of fucking <laughs> stressing out for months trying to find other people. But yeah, you know, I was trying to find more people locally to me first, I guess. Instead yeah. of trying to reach out. But was it a, a money thing with a lot of people? It was more about content. <laughs> this is like the first movie that I didn't want to make any compromises with the content. <laughs> like I I did that a lot with Fang Boner and a little bit in Gay for Prey, but I I had to tone down a lot in Fang Barner just because I couldn't find some of the people that wanted to do as far as the script took it. So, yeah, Amityville, I didn't want to make like any compromises. So I, it was it was hard to find people that were going to do exactly what the script said. And some of them actually want to take it even further. Like, uh, <laughs> like Mallory was a little disappointed that we didn't actually put that one thing in her butt. <laughs> <laughs> She was, she's all for that. <laughs> she was actually getting ready. She was, uh, that's like way off topic, but you know, she was, <laughs> she was like, okay, yeah, I'll get uh, lubed up and we'll put that in my ass. And uh, we're like, I was like, oh, oh, uh, 
we're not we're not actually putting it in your butt we're just it's going to be implied she's oh got all kind of like disappointed <laughs> <laughs> i can't say that was my first time working with a porn star but it was the first time i worked with a porn star for that long of a time sure so that was a it was a fun experience i learned a lot about about the industry <laughs> <laughs> just story wise or just uh work ethic wise uh, a little bit of both i guess but yeah she had a lot of interesting stories that i wouldn't have ever thought to <laughs> think about porn i guess <laughs> sure sure i i see at the end during the credits that uh the film took two and a half years to make was it yeah. mostly a lot of waffling the typical you know no budget indie production woes where people will tell you that they'll come and be in your movie and then they just waffle on it when you decide to go out and shoot was a budgetary what what took uh you two and a half years in order to put this thing together yeah that was like if you count from like the time that i started writing the script all the way until like it was completely done editing honestly the most of it like i think the core shooting lasted from january until September of 2019 is when we shot most of it. But even though I was still shooting little things here and there, like all the way up until the end. But yeah, I think the biggest process was just casting because I had the script done and I just, it took me so long to find the cast, <laughs> which, you know, I think you understand since you've seen it, that it, it's kind of hard to find people comfortable with everything in it. Well, it definitely, you know, leaves an impression when you watch it, because right off the bat, the movie starts with a lady in a goat's mask masturbating with a, with a dildo. So right off the bat, you're either going to be like, um, should I be watching this? I hope I'm not at work. I hope my my mom or my wife or somebody doesn't walk in while I'm watching this or maybe I should. I hope they do, but it definitely goes for the jugular right, right. the fuck away. And uh, I, I personally appreciate that. There's a lot of moments in this movie, Nate, that I really fucking love. But let's let's list off a few moments for the listeners that I think we should probably <laughs> talk about a little bit. The, okay. the dull mustache reveal where he where he takes the mustache off is probably my favorite movie moment of the entire year. Yeah, um, that wasn't even in the original script. I was literally out to eat with my well, my girlfriend at the time. We we were out getting breakfast, and I was just sitting there thinking about my movie, like daydreaming, and that scene just like randomly popped into my head, and I'm just started laughing like <laughs> at the fucking table, and I had to explain what I was like thinking about. <laughs> I was like, I have to shoot this. I have to add this into the movie. And I'm really glad I did. <laughs> bravo i i love that That, that's literally the the doll the possessed doll that starts fucking with everyone that that little moment where he flips around and his mustache comes off reminded me of that fucking meme with the groundhog that spins around and it all of a sudden like snap zooms into his face (laughs) i almost shit myself (laughs) So bravo, bravo. Um, second moment of the movie. The handless piss. Is that the most powerful flex a man can do? <laughs> I, yeah, that wasn't original. Like, I just I was like, what? 
what would a Chad piss like? <laughs> a Chad. <laughs> like, what would this guy piss like where he thinks he's like all that and he just stands there with his hands on his hips pissing? <laughs> I actually had the the, the close up shot of me pissing. I had to shoot three different times. You didn't piss because- on the camera, did you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I I forgot that I stood like that originally. So I was like pissing normally when I shot it the first time. And like I went to clip and I was like, oh my god. I was like, I forgot. Like I'm standing with my fucking hands on my hips. And, uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was just on a whim thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. So so we got the handless piss, but I don't know about the piss shake though. It, it, yeah. it, it seems like you know the piss shake where you're shaking everything, but actually t- like you're pro- trying not to touch your dick, so you shake everything goddamn thing around your dick. Like that would be <laughs> kind of like if you've ever seen a hippopotamus <laughs> shit where its tail goes nuts and shit gets flown everywhere. Piss would just fly all over yourself. Did you accidentally get piss all over yourself when you did that? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't expect me to get this in depth about about this piss scene, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so so you had made reference a little while ago uh, to the scene. There's a scene halfway through this movie where it it takes a complete left turn and becomes basically a movie about the two paranormal investigators slash researchers, which you play one. Uh, they go out and trip on shrooms. What's the story with the sequence and what is that all about? Well, one, and like in terms of the general movie, I wanted to kind of tone the craziness down for a little bit so that the ending would kind of make a bigger impact when it gets fucking nuts again. (laughs) I think it kind of like, it might be weird for people because it's such a weird like tonal shift and the lead characters also kind of like switch. (laughs) <laughs> um but i think most people seem to dig it i guess um but the sequence itself i guess one of my i mean i didn't even like try mushrooms until i was fairly older but all i remember growing up is like seeing movies where people are eating mushrooms and just like seeing like like I mean, there's even a movie called shrooms mm-hmm. i think it's like a, a slasher movie from like ireland or something but yeah people are eating mushrooms and like they're seeing like talking cows and like all this stuff and like <laughs> you know I, when i tried mushrooms i'm like there's nothing like this <laughs> like, it's absolutely nothing like this so like i wanted to show like what a real trip looks like which is literally just two people laughing like idiots for hours basically so that was yeah that's that was my inspiration to try and like break away from the stupid stereotypes in movies where people are hallucinating stuff that you absolutely do not see on mushrooms and just kind of showing it for what it is. Sure. But it also serves as, like you said, there's a slowdown moment where these two characters where for the most part, your character, Chad does nothing but talk about, you know, all these women that he's fucking constantly (laughs) and Roxy just sits there and just kind of hangs out. And just puts up with it, this fucking chach. <laughs> but there's a, there's that moment in in that shroom sequence where 
they both kind of confess their love to each other, which makes yeah. what ends up ultimately happening to them. <laughs> it gives it a little gravitas as weird as that sounds not to yeah. all of a sudden start sniffing our own farts at this moment <laughs> on the fucking podcast. But it, it kind of does give a little weight to what ends up happening in the next section of the movie. Was that intentional or you just I mean, you kind of introduced a little bit of a love plot into there. It was actually a suggestion that James gave me while we were filming because some of the gore stuff towards the end didn't even go as far as I had originally written it. (laughs) I don't know if I want to get into like spoiler territory and stuff, but yeah, like he suggested doing something else with my death and that like just got my brain going. And I, that's kind of where the whole love story evolved. And so I played on that while we were tripping and I just told her, look, it's, it's weird trying to trip and stay in character and act. <laughs> <laughs> I told her to like, try to keep this in mind that like, we kind of have a thing for one another and try to focus on that. You know, that whole love angle wasn't even originally really in the script at all. It isn't, it isn't like they have some playful banter, but once, yeah, like, yeah, it was a suggestion from James that <laughs> That made that what it was. That's insane, man. So how tough was it to actually take shrooms and shoot a movie at the same time? (laughs) Oh, man, if I didn't have help, there were times where I was literally just like staring at my tripod and going like, uh, uh, (laughs) like, what am I doing? Okay, I need a camera. Where's my camera? Uh, (laughs) So I had my friend Ashley out there and. Uh, the actress Emily had her boyfriend. They were they were helping me out a lot because decision making was very difficult. <laughs> and I also had to I had to haul two tripods, two different cameras, um, and like there's certain scenes where I had to set both of them up to where like the tra- they're transitioning from uh, reality to Shroomland. And once we were started the trip, that was very difficult to try and do. <laughs> but um, yeah. It was a lot of fun, though. <laughs> I would, if you've never made a movie on mushrooms, I highly suggest. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was one of the those parts in the movie where, I mean, I'll admit, yeah, I've been on mushrooms a number of times. It felt yeah. dead on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was real, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome, dude. Um, so uh, toward the end, and there's little portions of the movie here and there because um our our main character kathy uh is you know slowly becoming possessed by the the demonic spirit of this vibrator um where we go into what you could only really term as like a demonic realm and all of a sudden it breaks with the shot on video aspect and goes into more high-end you know hd uh digital video what was that that you shot on and why did you did you care that you were breaking aspect ratio and that it was popping in and out i mean what was the choice there uh to make the the demon realm a little bit different than everything else that was in the movie yeah i was trying to play with like different layers of reality in this because like everything you see in reality is what i was shooting on like the canon xl1 everything you see when we're tripping is shot on a little like tiny little Sony handheld 
handheld camcorder, like no lenses or nothing. Just, you know, one of those things you'd be shooting home video with, basically. That's fucking that, shocking to me. That's fucking shocking to me because those sequences look phenomenal. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really fucking surprised by this response. Continue. I'm sorry, Nate, but th- that fucking blows me away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then so yeah, then they go to hell, and it's it's all HD. I was trying to show people, you know, like different planes of reality where this movie was taking place, basically. And when it's uh most of when uh the visions towards the end that was also shot on the same camera that the mushroom trip sequence was shot on so it's like it's not reality it's like a different view of reality i guess so that was my whole idea there that i wanted to play with it's awesome those scenes are great man the use of color you got a lot of that like you had said before the italian horror influence in there with the hard primary colors and uh those who who brought in? Where did you find those awesome uh, goat skull masks? Oh, uh, my friend Ashley made those. I should have added a credit for that. Just realizing I never even credited her with that. But <laughs> you know who else you didn't credit yourself? Oh, Why aren't you credited in this movie as an actor? Oh, I didn't want to take an acting credit. <laughs> I already had enough credits as everything else. I didn't want to credit myself as an actor. I didn't care. <laughs> I don't consider myself an actor. <laughs> you thought so low of Chad <laughs> that you didn't even want to give Chad a reference of the credits. <laughs> if you stick to the end credits, if somebody did not know who I was, they would figure out that I was also acting when you see everything else. <laughs> well, I, gotta I don't s- need the credits. Yeah, I got to say, you know, in, in a lot of these uh you know micro budget underground movies one of my favorite things about them are the credits because they feel very personal there's a lot of personalization with the shout outs to the people that that have made this movie that were involved and to the fans themselves and uh, of a lot of them that i've seen this one in particular goes really far as to giving kind of a behind the scenes you know look as to what went into making this movie um, what made you want to make kind of like almost like a mini document of the creation of this movie as your end credits? I think one of it was like, uh, cause the movie is so like fucked up. <laughs> I just wanted to show that like, while we were making it, we were all just having a really good time. I wanted to get pictures of everybody just like goofing off on set, smiling. And that's, yeah. I think I accomplished that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I loved it. I absolutely fucking loved it. There's have you are you a big Andy Milligan fan at all? Have you ever seen any of his movies? I own quite a bit of them. Yes. Um I appreciate them <laughs> for what they are. I don't know if I can say I'm like a huge Milligan fan, even though like I always I try to collect like all of his stuff and watch it, just hoping that I'm gonna see one that I'm like absolutely in love with. But, sure. Like, I I appreciate his stuff, but I, I can't say that I'm like a really, really huge fan. Yeah, I would question your sanity if you said you were a really <laughs> huge fan of Andy Milligan, to be honest. Uh, the last year on this podcast, we watched literally everything we could find, which was yeah. like almost 20 movies. And there's uh, have you seen Monstrosity? I own that one, but I haven't watched it yet. Check it out. I think you would find that one really fun. There's this moment at the end 
Uh, and it's not going to ruin anything. But yeah. where all of a sudden the, the scene ends, the final scene ends and the cast and crew on camera that's a lockdown shot all of a sudden just walks into frame <laughs> and they just kind of start chatting like the movie had wrapped and they decided to just keep rolling. <laughs> and it's this weird, almost like joyous, um, humanistic scene that you never see in Andy Milligan's movies because his movies are so shrill and everyone's constantly trying to fuck each other over and yelling at each other and all this other shit where it, it, it's it, the like the end of the Amityville vibrator after the super intense thing. And then you have these credits where you're kind of celebrating this really fucked up movie. You just watched really reminded me of this. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so what made you come up with the Amityville vibrator drinking game? <laughs> I was literally uh, honestly like originally this movie was 66 minutes and six seconds. That was like my goal. Mm -hmm. And my credits were just like a tiny bit short. And I was like, what thing can I add <laughs> to these credits <laughs> to still make it fun for people and not seem like I'm just stretching it out. But, um, yes, yeah, I was like a drinking game. I was like, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I feel like somebody might die of alcohol poisoning. Right. <laughs> 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 well you know you put that gauntlet out there somebody's gonna take a hold of that right yeah, right yeah i end up but i end up my original cut was 66 minutes and six seconds but i went back and i end up cutting two minutes out of the mushroom scene so it's down to 64 but i am planning on doing an extended cut of the movie where i just put all the penetration i have on screen back <laughs> <laughs> so that cut the extended cut is pretty much going to be a porno <laughs> yeah there's a couple scenes that like i, I cut short because like i said i wasn't i wasn't trying to make an actual pornography movie so i a lot of the stuff i shot with mallory was like very quick <laughs> and uh also like the opening girl like you know i made some of that stuff quick but i could have I could have really stretched it out and made it seem like an actual porno if I really wanted to, but that wasn't my goal. But I'm gonna make a I'm gonna call it the six 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 triple X cut. Fuck yeah, <laughs> dude. I love it. I love the fucking sound of that shit. Are you a little bummed that uh I mean obviously the answer should be yes, you're a little bummed that there's a you know global pandemic going on, but are you a little bummed that, you know, the pandemic happened and you're not gonna be able to screen this anywhere in the foreseeable future? Uh yeah <laughs> it's a bit of a bummer um the original premiere we had we actually did it on june 6th which is kind of a important date in the movie but i originally wanted to have like a in-person screening on that day but uh jake from Shockstock uh set up a little online streaming premiere that night and we streamed it then but you know i don't know <laughs> i don't know when we're going to uh be able to screen it anywhere else but Maybe, uh, hopefully in the fall things will be good but who knows <laughs> this would be the perfect cinema wasteland screening oh yeah i know <laughs> that place would go fucking stuff. nuts <laughs> i know <laughs> i know man <laughs> <laughs> so uh one last question about the movie okay 
Where can I get the don't be a cunt crochet that's hanging in that van? <laughs> um, my friend, uh, Lila Link is her name on Facebook. She makes those crochet things. Um, she makes all kinds of them. There's a whole bunch of really fun ones she makes, but I just saw that one. And I was like, I just want that hanging up somewhere in my movie. I don't know where, but I'm going to hang it up somewhere. And that's, that's where I put it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I've watched this and I've watched it a number of times though, that fucking yeah. sticks out to me. And I just, I'm like, man, I want that on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here you go. Here's an idea. Ten cents. You take it and run with it. I don't. I don't need a re, uh, you know compensation about this at all. You put that on the front of a shirt and then have have it say Amityville Vibrator on the back. That shit's gonna sell. It's good. It's licensed to print money, Nate. Right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking do it. Get do whatever you got to do. I want to don't be a cunt fucking shirt. <laughs> uh, oh man so well i i really appreciate you coming on and, and doing this man i genuinely really loved the fucking movie and uh i'm glad you're back out there making it happen i'm excited to see what you got going on next um it's very rare nowadays uh in at least it maybe it's just me i i we all sit and watch you know these movies uh, being scene stirs and whatnot. And it, it, it seems like the older I get, the less and less I'm seeing good stuff. And this one genuinely knocked it out of the park for me, man. So uh, thank you for letting, for not only coming on the podcast, but making this movie. I enjoyed it immensely, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I just, I would just try to make movies that I know that I would enjoy. So <laughs> It's the way to fucking do it, man. It, that's it's it's punk rock in all the great fucking ways. It's got an energy and a, a it's an a insane middle finger of a movie. And those are my favorite kinds of movies, man. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. <laughs> so uh, for the listeners, where can they find this movie when it eventually comes out? Uh, where can they find and where can they find you on social media and stuff? And just kind of shill, generally shill generally i can't even speak right now this beer is getting to me a little bit too much uh where can my listeners find you in your wares shill your ass off to look into the older stuff that i've done with rock bottom like fang boner gay for prey well fang boner got picked up for distro so it's generally available like anywhere you look <laughs> any site you want to go to like amazon best buy walmart shit like that um you can get gay for prey or any other rock bottom stuff I worked on like big F guardia de Male. That's at rockbottomvideo.com. Um, <clears throat> Amityville. It's, uh, yeah, I think this beer's kind of getting to me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm literally staring at like fucking seven or eight boxes that I have sitting in my place right now full of all the supplies but i'm still waiting on cover art so i can't print dvds yet but <laughs> when i do start printing i'm gonna open a store envy um it'll probably be under the name snatanic productions but i haven't made that store envy yet but it'll it'll be on a store envy site where i'll be kind of just doing self-distro on it you can follow me on uh my name's nathan rumble around facebook you can follow any updates and shit that I got for it. All right. One last question. 
So one of my favorite things I've ever seen in this world is uh, you as a German scientist in the Big F. <laughs> it was a masterful turn as a thespian. <laughs> when will I get to see you as a German scientist again? Or will I have to make a movie and have you be a German scientist <laughs> in it for this to happen? Um, one of one of our ideas for a future rock bottom movie is actually a combined sequel between Fang Boner and the Big F. And it's <laughs> we have like a we have an outline of it, but it starts with the hooker waking up in the shed and it kind of goes from there. It's like the day after the events of Fang Boner, because if you didn't notice in the Big F, <clears throat> it also takes place on Fang Boner Road. Yep. It's like the same subdivision, but the events of the Big F are supposedly like three years before all this happened. They're three years before Fang Boner happened. So then, yeah, the hooker wakes up and it's just going to kind of combine characters from both Fang Boner and the Big F and the worlds are going to collide <laughs> and there's going to be some characters that come back. So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably coming back with the fake arm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know how happy that fucking makes me. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's maybe maybe that's a kink of mine. Kind of like uh and I, I just came up with another question, Nate. Humongous bushes. Are they funny or is it just a kink for you? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, um the very first thing that I shot was the masturbating nun sequence for the very first thing I shot for the movie, just because I asked her if she would be willing to grow a bush out. And so we waited months. I paid her extra for that, by the way, for the <laughs> and, and, and hardship that she went through. If I was like, dude, the nun has to have a bush. If she, if she pulls <laughs> her pants down and she's like clean shaven, nobody's going to believe that she is a nun. Like it's gotta be like a, Right. So you're positing that all nuns have humongous bushes. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. And the other girl, it was supposed to be the 70s. It takes place in the 70s. So she had to have some hair. too. So. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> fucking hilarious. I only bring this up. It's not just because of the the huge bushed nun. I just rewatched Gay for Prey. And there's that chick where Jesus and Judas are out in the middle of the fucking desert. And the chick that shows up the, <laughs> that they're going to spit roast has a tremendously huge bush. <laughs> Yeah. The burning bush. <laughs> I guess I do have a lot of bushes in my stuff. I never realized this. <laughs> it's all right now.
Listening to Astro Radio Z. Oh! <laughs> Hi! I'm Angelique. And there's nothing better at the end of a long day than a hot bath and a good book. Now, I'm not talking your highfalutin literature like your, your Jane Eyre or your Wuthering Heights. I'm talking candy bars for your brain. The kind of books you'll find gathering dust at the Bilo or your local used bookstore. Books about monsters, ghosts, demons, werewolves, Draculas, killers, surgical abominations, or just about any other horror you can dream up. So, plug the drain, grab you a book, and come soak with me in the tub of terror. Today we're dipping into The Foundling by Frank Loria. So, is The Foundling just ducky or a total bath bomb? <laughs> this one sold me at once. This cover, y'all. <laughs> okay, so there's a young girl in a little house on the prairie nightgown, you know, with the high neck ruffle business She's hitting a power cord on a Les Paul. Her eyes are glowing with yellow demon fire that's shooting out into the room. There's a really evil smile on her face. The title is in raised silver letters in a goth rock font. And the tagline is... Imagine if Rosemary's baby had a baby. Yes, please! All of it. Thank you. <laughs> so, the book opens at St. Ursula's. It's a Catholic orphanage slash home for wayward girls. Uh, Sister Rose is a radical nun in the Order of the Sisters of Charity and has really been rubbing the Mother Superior and Father Costello raw with all her modern ideas. She set up a program for pregnant teens to stay until they give birth, and then they just, you know, hand the babies over for adoption. I don't know if that's how that works or not. On Christmas, a detective brings a girl to Sister Rose. She's due to give birth any minute, and she's facing serious charges for prostitution and drug smuggling. Sister Rose and Danielle, that's the girl's name, uh, they bond. Danielle tells her some whacked out stories. And she gives birth on New Year's. And the baby is perfect, of course. Except for a teeny tiny little bitty extra nipple under her arm. I know. Ominous. <laughs> well, Sister Rose is pressing Danielle hard to get this baby baptized. 
Danielle is balking. She's really reluctant. And then on uh, that night, she just ends up disappearing with the baby. <sighs> Gone. Well, a few years later, a little girl shows up at St. Ursula's. And she's very pretty and precocious. And she has a third nipple under her arm. <laughs> yep. Her name is Danny. And she's super bright and talented. Perhaps suspiciously so. And she has Sister Rose wrapped around her little finger, going so far as to start a tradition of exchanging gifts on Halloween. And this goes on until Danny is about 12. And Sister Rose gives her a camera on their special day, which she promptly uses to take naked pictures of her friend Lori. Sister Rose catches them in flagrante delicto and flips out in a nunly rage. <laughs> She can't shake the images of all that nubile flesh rubbing up all over, and she has to take a cold shower. It doesn't work, though. And she runs out, and she finds Danny, and uh, almost gets seduced by Danny. And there's some line about her being overcome by her musk. So, okay. <laughs> what is it about all these authors and this musk stuff, huh? Ugh. <laughs> So Sister Rose runs away from Danny, but then runs to Lori, the girl that she uh, caught Danny with, <laughs> and attacks her. Then she realizes, oh my gosh, what have I done? And she runs back to her office, and she takes a crucifix, and she breaks it off, and she stabs herself to death with it. So I know what you're thinking. Dang, that was an awesome wild book, Angelique. Right? <laughs> that was just the freaking prologue. <laughs> There is so much more. Ah, I can't stand it. Okay, so now we meet Jeff and Ruth. They're a couple trapped in a miserable, sexless marriage. Why is it sexless? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> in the 60s, Jeff had a band. Jeff Austin and the Vigilantes. I know. Ugh. Well, they were playing at some rock and roll festival, and a very pregnant Ruth decided to get all hopped up on marijuana and lose track of their three-year-old. This little baby girl toddler grabs a high voltage wire and fries herself right there in front of Ruth. Ruth loses the baby immediately due to the trauma, and she and Jeff blame each other. So Jeff leaves that hot rock and roll lifestyle to become a producer, and he writes ad jingles. Ruth does something involving a boutique, but they mention it all of once in the book. So, I don't know. She's a, a, a kept lady. Whatever. <laughs> well, Jeff decides to fix their marriage by building a house in the middle of nowhere up in Connecticut. And, hey, let's adopt a child. But there aren't enough babies hanging around. So, they adopt the perfect little girl. You guessed it. They adopt Danny, who is the same age their daughter would have been had she not become a crispy critter. They're instantly charmed by Danny, of course. But Jeff starts acting a little creepy and jealous whenever Danny is talking to anyone else. Literally anyone else. Other kids, his wife, adults. He's just... I don't know if it was an intentional move to make it seem like... Jeff is just under the influence of the musk. I don't know. But if it wasn't, I'm not sure. Ah, 
it just, it was, it got really creepy and just uncomfortable in a way. And Ruth is just acting like this girl's, you know, a little best friend instead of her child. Danny shows off all of her photography skills and all of a sudden is a fantastic singer and can play the guitar. Well, Danny starts making friends at her new school and is invited to a birthday party. Jeff and Ruth insist on attending this birthday party as well, which is not at all weird and inappropriate. <laughs> well, Danny's friend Lisa wants to hang out and practice for the party like all us girls do, talking about whether what they're going to wear and how they're going to do their hair and makeup and ah, what's the best way to make out with boys. Well... Danny's musk decides to uh, percolate, and Lisa gets a little loose and tries to make Danny touch her boobs. Now, I want to address the author for a moment and provide a little education about women's nipples. I, we're going to be talking about nipples a lot. That's a really big theme in the book. But as far as, as ladies, with um, the standard two boobs and the standard two nipples. Um, nipples do not unfold, unfurl, or flare. Again, nipples do not, at least mine never have. I don't think I've seen any other nipples unfold, unfurl, or flare. If yours do any of those, please consult a specialist. Okay. All right, back to the book. <laughs> so the night of the party, Jeff and Ruth go, and then they go home early and have awkward and icky, boring sex while they let Danny stay at the party until she's ready to come home. And Danny takes off with her little group of popular boys and Lisa's sister, Gina, and they all go off and drink a bunch of vodka mixed with grape Kool-Aid, and they smoke a joint, and... Charles, one of the popular guys, tries to touch Danny's boob. She freaks out and runs off crying and yelling. Well, she gets home, and Jeff is freaking out, thinking something bad happened, and he's wanting to call a doctor and everything like that. Ruth is trying to figure out what's wrong, and when Danny's running up the stairs, she notices, oh, hey, Danny has started her period. Danny won't let Ruth near her. Jeff is still, you know, let's call a doctor. So before you can say Carrie... Every match in the house bursts into flames. They barely get the flames out, and Jeff wins and calls Dr. Forbin. Now, while this is happening, Charles, the jerky kid who tried to, you know, touch Danny's groceries, is blabbing to all the dudes and to Gina about Danny's extra nipple, which he felt when he was trying to fill her up um, while they're cruising down the road. They're still getting high, still drinking. Everyone's laughing until their matches all burst into flames at the same time. The van catches on fire and then careens right into a tanker truck full of gasoline. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Dr. Forbin makes a house call. Danny's being very aggressive. She's hissing and snarling. And the author is really, really sure to let us know that Dr. Forbes gets a half chub when he sees Danny's boobs. 
but it is quickly squashed <laughs> when Danny claws his face and the pack of matches in his shirt pocket lights up on fire. So he tranquilizes Danny and examines her, finds nothing wrong except for the extra, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't want to say nipple 800 times. <laughs> but I think I'm going to have to. It's my duty. So Dr. Forbin, I guess he's the only doctor in town because he gets paged to go out to the van accident and, you know, see what's going on. Of course, everybody's dead. Like seven kids died, which is sad, but don't drink and drive, kids. Don't carry matches. You've got a friend with spooky demon power. <laughs> anyway, the next morning, he comes back to the Austin's house and he tells Danny that she's fine. But then he leaves and he runs to the bar and he hooks up with his poker buddies and violates HIPAA about six ways to Sunday. One of his poker buddies is a trashy reporter who runs and starts harassing Ruth and prints stories about how Danny is a fire starter and there's like cursed and everything like that because of the history with their other children. And he's just trying to ruin Jeff's upcoming album release. Jeff is continuing to be creepy about Danny's attention. And Ruth is starting to become bitter and jealous that Danny spends so much time with Jeff in the recording studio with all his friends and his assistant, Pam. I mean, Jeff really is surrounded by assholes. And let me tell you, his assistant, Pam, is a piece of work, actively trying to destroy his marriage. And Danny is just playing them like chess pieces, just Ugh, she weasels her way into the record by playing one of her songs during the recording session. Jeff is producing an album of the Vigilantes songs that never got released. They're being sung by an Aussie rock god, Eric Jordan. And he loves the song. He goes crazy about it and decides that they're going to record it, mix it with Danny's voice, and make it the B-side. Well, of course, Ruth is not happy about this, and she's even less enthused when she finds out she has to make a release party happen the next day, which happens to be Halloween. But in typical L.A. fashion, the party is a hit until a drunken Jordan is caught with a half-naked Danny in his Rolls Royce. Naturally, Jeff and Ruth start to go after him. They're going to, you know, stomp him into a mud hole, but both Jeff's and Eric Jordan's manager insists that it would be really bad for Jeff, but even worse for Danny if this gets out. So they don't call the cops and they let the gross child molester leave. He gets what's coming to him though. Danny uses her devil power to manufacture some hurricane force winds that smashes the big plate glass window in Eric Jordan's apartment. It kills him by turning his face into hamburger helper and launching a giant shard of glass into his dick. <laughs> so is it over? No, y'all! We're just about halfway through! I told you! <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to gloss over a bunch because if I don't, we're going to be here for an hour. And while I am enjoying this watermelon bath bomb I'm soaking in, I don't want to wear y'all out. So basically from here, it uh, Jeff and Ruth's marriage is a shambles. Jeff is never home now. Danny's turned into a little shit. And Ruth is trying to drink all of the problems away. She finds more naked Polaroids in Danny's room. And she makes Danny talk to the school psychiatrist, Father Bernucci. But Danny twists it all up. 
she convinces him that Ruth is a major alcoholic who's making her life miserable. Now, on Thanksgiving break, Ruth catches Danny, just like Sister Rose caught Danny, in the act with her friend Kim. So naturally, she, you know, separates them. <laughs> and she runs downstairs and she calls Jeff, but he won't believe her. He accuses her of being drunk and hysterical. She puts Danny on the phone because Jeff wants to talk to her. And of course, Danny downplays the whole thing. Then Danny and Kim leave to go have a sleepover at Kim's house. And Ruth decides, well, why not? She's going to play Marilyn Monroe. She's going to down some Valium with some scotch, get a little tipsy. But unfortunately for her, all the faucets in the house turn on full blast. And despite her best efforts, she ends up drowning in the basement while Jeff is busy screwing Pam. Then things take a really ominous turn. So like the photographer joined up with Damien's dad. Sam Buchanan, the reporter, starts to kind of work together with Jeff. They both go out, try to find Danny's real mother, because apparently this kind of stuff has followed Danny her whole life. So Buchanan has some connections, and who oh boy, <laughs> when they find Danny's mom. <laughs> Y'all, this is too much. So her mom is a lady named Diane Stanley, a washed-up singer slash lady of the evening and she's got the third nipple i guess it's hereditary she knows that her daughter is pretty much the antichrist and oh yeah she has a giant tattoo of the devil's face on her freshly shaven cha-cha her bits form the devil's mouth and she shows it to jeff like it's no problem in fact all the ladies at the commune that she was in had those. They were all family, you know? Yeah, the leader was a really deep and talented and thoughtful guy. Uh, Charlie used to even babysit Danny. That's right, y'all! Charles Manson is Danny's daddy and gave her the musical devil power. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> Diane uh, wants Danny to become the Antichrist, so she kills Buchanan with her car, and then devil power somehow makes her drive off a cliff. Jeff now knows what he's got to do. He's got to kill Danny before she puts out any more songs, because they're starting to play the new one on the radio. It's getting popular. The word's getting out, and that's how she gets you. So he gets back home, whips out a gun opens fire in the studio, but Danny survives, and Jeff does not. Jeff's asshole manager, Bart, takes her under his wing and takes her to New York to make sweet, sweet music. <laughs> oh, God, you guys! Yo! Oh, this one is not only ducky. This thing gets the Golden Elvis bookmark seal of excellence. Now, what's that? <laughs> well, I'll explain. See, I try to read all of these in one fell swoop. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes the books are a little long for, you know, your average bath. So, you know, usually when I have to mark my place, I grab an old Walmart receipt <laughs> or a scrap of paper. But if I'm really, really digging the book, I have this special 
gold lame suit Elvis bookmark, and uh, it's taller than the books are. His face kind of peeks out on it. So when I use it, I just kind of stick it behind where I'm reading. And so the blazing blue eyes of the king stare at me from the pages. And the foundling definitely got the golden Elvis treatment. Find this book and read it. I mean it. Seriously. <laughs> Whew. Well, after that ride, <laughs> I might need to take a cold shower myself. I gotta dry off and calm down. <laughs> well, my water's getting chilly and my fingers are all pruney, so I'm gonna drain my water here. And I hope that you'll come hang out in the tub with me again for our next episode. Same bath time, same bath channel.
For more information and to talk to the hosts online, join the All the Gaming Space Facebook group and slash or find us on Twitter at AstroRadioZ. Music played on this episode, which we urge you to go purchase and support can be purchased through the supporting links provided in the show notes. Mr. Bundle, USA. 8-Bit Misfits, Saturday Night. Passenger of Shit, Stable Gateworms on My Penis. Chromio, Stay in Bed, and Do Nothing. Kids Heal Kids, Use Gloves on the Ground. If you would like to hear more than your regular releases of Astro Radio Z, go over to our Patreon page. For the low price of $1 a month, you will receive monthly bonus episodes and much more. Check out what we have to offer and join us for the ultimate ARZ experience at patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z. Enjoy the remaining moments of your mortal existence, Astro Zombies. Astro Radio Z will return next month. Heard the bowels of hell to your blown out speakers. Get out, 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 get out,